Good evening. Just two weeks from tonight, we will have three door-knocking campaigners from Bear Valley Bible Institute of Denver amongst us. And I do want to say as I begin tonight that I truly appreciate the prayers, uh, the gentlemen who have been leading us in prayers. These good brothers have been continually mindful in their prayers of this campaign. Please, please, everybody continue to remember this campaign and let us beg and, and plead for God to allow us to share the gospel with hungry and thirsty souls that want to know him. But as I said last Sunday as well, one of the big mistakes that we could possibly make is in anticipating their arrival to do our personal evangelism for us. They're going to be knocking doors. They're going to be asking questions. But we still have a personal responsibility to talk to everybody that we know at every opportunity that is presented about Jesus Christ. It's not like we're hiring this out and somebody comes in and does our work for us. It doesn't work that way as we know. You know, we've been talking a lot lately in the congregation here, in fact, for months, about the absolute essentiality of personal evangelism. And for obvious reasons. One need look no further than our numbers, our empty classrooms on a Sunday morning, and what all of that means to the future existence or lack thereof of this congregation. Evangelism is the reason, the reason for the church's existence. Matthew chapter 28 verses 18 and 20, as well as 1 Peter 2 verses 9 and 10. Evangelism is one of the greatest works, personal evangelism, might I say, but evangelism is one of the greatest works amongst the great works that we were saved to do, Titus 2, 11 through 14. The day that a church and its members cease to evangelize is the day they begin to die a slow and painful and agonizing death, Revelation 2, 1-7, through 7, as we've spoken of in previous lessons. Hence, our Wednesday night adult Bible class is focused for some time now on personal evangelism. When I get back into teaching the Sunday morning adult class within next few weeks or month or so or whenever that is, I plan to spend some time discussing exactly how to begin an in-home Bible class and materials to use because I know some folks are like, I don't mind teaching, but where do I start? So, you know, we're going we're gonna to talk about that in, in a class or two or more. Both our scripture reading tonight as well as the bulletin article today were both focused toward evangelism as is tonight's sermon, which is entitled... The missing link to eternal life. The missing link to eternal life. You know, most of us, most of us without any difficulty, have memorized the what we call the five steps of salvation. And we can teach them to almost anybody, given the opportunity. We know that God's plan of salvation can be easily summarized by hearing, believing, confessing, repenting, and being baptized for the forgiveness of one's sins. And a lot of people throw a sixth one in there, and that is be faithful unto death. Revelation 2 and verse 10. We, we can do that. But here's the thing I want us to consider as we consider the missing link to eternal life. 
I think sometimes we can get so anxious to get sinners to step five, to get them to baptism for the forgiveness of their sins and to be saved, as the scriptures do clearly teach. Because most religious denominations, in fact, all of them that I know of, pretty much skip right over that or else completely reject God's divinely inspired commandment of baptism in water as the act of faithful obedience wherein one receives God's gift of grace, comes in contact with the blood, is therefore forgiven by calling on the name of the Lord at that point and rising to walk in newness of life. We want to get them to that point so much. So much. That's usually our primary focus. But then, five weeks, six weeks, two months down the road, those people we baptized are gone all too often, and we don't understand why. And so the question I want for us to consider tonight is we're hopefully looking forward to some Bible studies out of this door-knocking campaign. The question I want us to consider tonight, and, and certainly something to integrate into our thinking as we contemplate this upcoming evangelistic effort, as well as our own personal evangelism efforts, is this. Is the reason that we see such a huge percentage of those that we teach and baptize into Christ for the forgiveness of their sins fall away a few months later. Is the reason for that because we unintentionally, though it may be, tend to do something very similar to what some of the denominations do. And you say, well, what, what on earth is that? Well, some of the denominations, in fact, again, most all of them that I know of, fail to emphasize or focus on the essentiality of baptism for the forgiveness of sins, right? But do we fail to focus on or emphasize one of the other just as important, just as essential, just as necessary elements of salvation... The one called repentance. Are we so anxious to get people baptized that we often skip right over repentance? You see, we are very, very much aware of and we aggressively defend the fact that baptism absolutely must, no doubt about it, embolden it, highlight it, underline it, baptism must come before salvation can occur, right? We aggressively defend that because that's what the scriptures say. Salvation is not something that occurs over here and then weeks later we're, we're baptized. Bat, uh, salvation does not come about as a result of some prayer that we say and then months later we're, we're baptized. We aggressively defend the fact that baptism must come before salvation. Because that's what the scriptures do. But again, here's the question. Are we just as much, just as acutely aware of, and just as aggressive and adamant about teaching and defending and emphasizing the fact that repentance 
must likewise not only precede or come before salvation, but must be an ongoing element thereof as long as one lives. Do we stress that as much as we stress baptism? Or are we just so anxious to get people into the baptistry and into the pews that we don't really emphasize the essentiality of repentance from their sins because we're in fear that we might alienate them before they're baptized? Which, of course, leads to so many of them exiting the pews a few weeks or months after they're baptized when they slowly start to come to the realization of, hey, this is a life-altering thing. All of a sudden, when that hits them, it's like, whoa! When they begin to understand repentance later on. And if that's what happens, if we're so anxious to baptize them that we don't talk about repentance and that change and that life-altering occurrence that must happen. And they get baptized because that's all we teach them. And they come up out of the baptistry and they sit a few weeks and they leave. Do you know they're in a worse condition when they leave than if they'd never come in the first place? Doesn't the scripture say that? The scripture says that. Hebrews 6, 4-6 through 6, and 2 Peter 2, 20-22. Brethren, if we are going to act accurately and effectively teach a lost sinner the biblical truth about God's plan of salvation, then we can't just skip steps 1 through 4, jump right on to 5 and assume they know all the rest of it. We must not skip over, neglect, fail to mention, fail to emphasize, fail to teach, nor assume they automatically know or understand what any of those divinely required commandments and responsibilities of God's pardon are, especially including repentance. I want to show you this evening the importance of repentance. And if you're taking notes, I'll try to go slow enough to accommodate that. Check this out. Some of the very first ever recorded words of instruction from John the Baptist, as well as Jesus Christ our Lord himself, was repent. Matthew 3 and verse 2, Matthew 4 and verse 17. Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, he himself said that the very reason he came was to call sinners to repentance. Mark 9, 13 and Luke 5, 32. And so, it should come as no surprise to us that when Jesus sent out the twelve in Mark 6 and verse 12, it says they went out and preached that people should repent. You see how important repentance was? And I want you to open your Bibles tonight as well to Luke 24. Not only did John the Baptist and Jesus teach it first and primarily, not only did Jesus say repentance was the reason that he came, was to, to teach sinners to repent, to call them to repentance. Not only was that the message that he gave the twelve when he sent them out in Mark 6.12, but look at what the message was, which the recently crucified, but now resurrected Savior, told his apostles they must share with the world in Luke 24, starting at verse 44. Then he said to them, 
These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now watch this. He's just come back, the resurrected Christ. He's appeared to these disciples that, that first Lord's Day in the evening. He's come to them there. He's talking to them. And he said, the whole reason for all of this, the whole reason the scriptures, I'm proving what the scriptures said about me, and the whole reason all of that had to happen. Verse 46. Was that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Did you see that? Repentance and remission of sins. God, do you see the order? Repentance plays a primary and prioritized role there. The Apostle Peter, who was there that very night, you know, he both understood and taught the essential nature and the correct chronological order when it comes to repentance coming before salvation. And how vital it was. Look at the order. We know the passage, but please turn there anyway. Humor me. Acts 2.38. Even if you can quote it. Look what Peter said. When they asked in verse 37, Men and brethren, what should we do? The very first words out of Peter's mouth. He didn't say, be baptized. It wasn't what he taught him to do first. First thing he told them, first word. Repent. And be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Look with me in Acts 3, verse 19, if you would please. After Peter teaches about Christ and what happened to him and how that's what the prophets foretold, what does he say? Verse 19, repent therefore and be converted. Did he say, be converted and then repent? No, he said repent that came first, and be converted. You see, if one doesn't repent, they're not truly converted. That doesn't mean you're never going to make a mistake. We'll see that when we get to, to what repentance is. But understand that you've got to repent in order to be converted, and if there is no repentance, there's no real conversion. Look finally with me in Acts 5 and verse 31, and look what it says there. Acts 5, verse 31. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Once again, repentance, then forgiveness. You know, we would continue to see the essential nature of repentance, just how vital and how crucial and critical and important that it is. Were we to read Peter's words in his... Second epistle, Second Peter 3.9, listen to this. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slowness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Do you see the power there? Don't want anybody to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. Do we see that if a person is not going to perish, there's got to be repentance. And if there is no repentance and they're not over here on this side, then... They're going to perish. Repentance is critical, crucial, vital, essential. It's just as essential to the salvation process as baptism is. 
Do we teach it that way? Or do we simply tell people, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Because you see, that isn't the way the scripture does it. We would see the same importance of repentance as well in the Apostle Paul's preaching to the Athenians in Acts 17, verses 30 and 31, where it says, God now commands all, commands all men everywhere to repent because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. Judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. God has appointed a day when He is going to judge the world through Jesus Christ. Therefore, because there's a judgment coming... He commands all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because you're not going to get through the judgment and get where you want to be unless there is repentance. It's that critical. Do we teach it that way? This is something we really need to think about. Say, why is he prattling on about this? I'm telling you why. Because the world is full of people that because of weakness and sin and Satan are not living for God. And we may have the precious privilege to share the grace-laden gospel of Jesus Christ with those people. But when we do, we have got to as lovingly as possible with prayer and with understanding and with kindness, but with conviction still, we are going to have to reach them. We are going to have to teach them that in order to become a Christian, yes, God loves them. Yes, His grace is there. Yes, He wants to forgive them. Yes, baptism is necessary. But they can't keep living in the sin that they're living in, if there is one, if they're going to come to Christ. There's got to be repentance. And sometimes we just skip right over that because, again, we don't want to alienate anybody. Well, I don't, you know, they'll walk out. Just. The Bible teaches repentance comes before salvation. But what exactly is repentance? Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words defines repentance thus. To change one's mind or purpose. See, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean somebody's going to be perfect the minute they become a Christian. If they repent, that means they change their mind and purpose. They do a U-turn. They start focusing on God. They make that psychological turn first, and then it comes through in their actions. It means to change one's mind or purpose. Always in the New Testament, involving a change for better. That's vines. Strong's Greek lexicon defines repentance thus. To change one's mind for better. Heartily to amend with abhorrence of one's past sins. F.F. Bruce, in his Greek text commentary on the Acts of the Apostles, says this. Repentance involves a turning, that is a changing of one's mind and purpose and direction. Repentance involves a turning with contrition. Now for those of you that may not know what contrition means, I had to look it up to make sure myself, so don't feel bad. I'm not pointing fingers at anybody. Contrition means remorse for having done wrong, sorrow for having offended God. And I want you to think about that. That's what contrition means. I am so sorry. I did not know. I did not understand. I am so sorry for what I have done, for the way I have let God down, for the sins that Jesus had to pay for for me. 
deep remorse, deep sorrow for having sinned. F.F. Bruce again, that's the definition of contrition, says this, Repentance involves a turning with contrition from sin to God. The repentant sinner is in the proper condition to accept the divine forgiveness. I want you to consider that. A person needs to understand that they have sinned. They need to understand what that sin is. And, and they're so, at that point... If they're so sorry that they have done that to God and they help drive those nails and they're responsible for what Jesus went through, it's then that they're ready to accept the divine grace in the right manner and can be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. They accept it because they understand how lost they are and what they've done. But if that doesn't happen, you got a person that's drowning in shark-infested seas and they don't realize they're drowning in shark-infested seas and somebody throws them a life jacket, it ain't going to mean a whole lot because they think they're you know, on vacation having a great time. But if they understand the mess that they're in, and they go, ah, you know, how am I going to get out of this? And somebody throws them a life jacket, that's going to be everything to them. And so there needs to be this state of contrition. There needs to be this repentance, this turning toward God. Why? Because getting saved is not just about being baptized. It's not just about changing a few old habits. It's not just about starting to attend church now and then. It's not about that. But what repentance is all about is changing one's heart and mind when it comes to sin and self and God and righteousness. That's repentance. Repentance is all about coming to hate and abhor and be sorry for sin and selfishness and all the damaging things it has done to their lives. Proverbs 8 and verse 13. Repentance is all about committing everything you are. As you turn your heart, your mind, and your whole life's purpose toward God, it's about changing that direction and turning everything towards God. Repentance is all about committing everything you are to no longer living for sin, Satan, and self, but for God and holiness and righteousness. That's repentance. Now, that doesn't mean that sometimes the people aren't going to make a mistake on their way back to God. We've all made mistakes since we've been Christians, right? That's not what it means. But it means that, that my whole life's purpose at that point, my whole desire, everything in me is so sorry for the abhorrence and the awfulness and the ugliness of, of sin and Satan and everything I've done to God that I am going to run to God with every fiber of my being at every opportunity every day that I have. That's repentance. Repentance is about coming to understand that God is so good and so loving and has given us so much of himself in order to offer us eternal salvation through the blood of his only begotten son that we are going to surrender ourselves entirely to God and follow him completely from now on no matter the cost no matter the consequences or no matter what I have to give up in the process to do so that's repentance Turn with me to two, two passages in your Bible that show this. Philippians 3 would be the first one. This idea of God being so good and, and me turning to God and, and running to God and staying with God and being with, and it doesn't matter what it costs. 
Because I so hate the ugliness and the abhorrence of sin. Philippians 3 verse 7, Paul says, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ, and he lost a lot. Yet indeed, verse 8, he says, I also count all things lost. Everything I was, all the accolades, all the education, all the person I was, everything I had, all of it. He said, I bagged it up in a big trash bag and heaved it out where it belongs. That's not exactly what he said. Let's read it the way he put it. Verse 8, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law. He said, that's rubbish. That's garbage. Thinking that I could ever be good enough to be with God, that's garbage. But that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul said, I just want to be saved and go to heaven. And nothing I was doing when I lived like that was going to get me there. That's repentance. He said, I'll throw it, throw it all right out with the garbage. I'm going to repent. And he did. He had. And turned to God. Let me show you one other passage real quickly in Acts 19. Please turn there. Show you what repentance looks like. Acts 19. And we need to, we need to be able to show folks this who are sincerely seeking God. Acts 19, beginning at verse 18 and going through verse 20, says this. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. They counted up the value of them and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. All of these people had, had believed in and practiced and they come and they just burned it. There's a little discrepancy there, I know, in the scriptures about exactly how much cost and how you want to define it. Bottom line is these people were willing to give it all up because they had repented. That's what repentance looks like. You see, repentance is all about a total commitment to that kind of life-altering life change. It's about counting the cost and making a complete commitment to Christ the same way Christ made a complete commitment to us as we talked about this morning in that lesson. As we discussed the crucifixion, we too have to go through a crucifixion. Jesus came and put it all right there for us. He made a complete commitment to us when he was crucified. And so we, true repentance, and when we truly repent, what we do, we crucify that old man of sin. We, we put him to death and we come up and rise to walk in newness of life. Repentance is what must therefore come before and hence lead one to be biblically baptized. Again, I want you to think about this. The scripture says in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Why be baptized if you're not going to turn your life to God? You see the point? If you don't repent, if you don't say, I'm turning to God. If you don't say, I see how sinful and how awful and ugly and terrible this is and I don't want to go to hell and I need His grace and I need His forgiveness. So I'm going to turn my heart and my mind. I'm going to turn my life. I'm going to turn my whole life's purpose to God. If you don't do that before you're baptized, why be baptized? 
And yet I fear sometimes we're so anxious to get these people in the baptistry. And we know they're in a situation or they're practicing some sin that, that's got to stop. And, and we, we see from their life that they've got to turn to God and, and it doesn't look like they're really ready to turn to God. But boy, we're going to baptize them. I think that's a mistake sometimes that we're tempted to make in the Lord's church. Yeah, baptism is essential prior to salvation, but repentance is just as essential prior to baptism. Repentance is all about turning to God, diligently desiring and completely committing to church, studying, learning, obeying, and sharing the Word of God at every possible opportunity, no matter what. That's what repentance is. Completely committing to studying, learning, obeying, and sharing the Word of God at every possible opportunity, no matter what. For those of you taking notes, 2 Peter 1, 2-11, through 11, Romans 12, 1 and 2, 2 Timothy 1, 8-13, and we could list others, but that's three and that's fine. But here's something that happened in Scripture. Sometimes we see people in Scripture who initially made that commitment. They repented and they, they made that commitment to go ahead and, and study and learn and, and turn their life's purpose and their heart and their mind and everything they were to God and to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And they, they made that decision. And they got baptized and they got added to His church. But then we see in Scripture sometimes some of them began to become lazy and sluggish in their righteousness, maybe, in their study, in their commitment, and in their service. While still others who had made that same initial commitment and initially repented, they got tempted and began to drift and get pulled back into the world and all of its sinful pleasures. And you know what those folks were told to do? Repent. Romans 2, 4-24. 2 Corinthians 7, 9 and 10. Hebrews 10, 23-39. Revelation 2 and 3. Point is, repentance isn't just something that we do turning our heart and mind initially to God. It's not just something that we do once and then get baptized because we've turned to God and we want His grace and forgiveness. But sometimes once we've made that decision, like people who make New Year's resolutions, for example, we've made that, we, we, we said we're going to do it, and we mean to do it, and we intend to do it, and we've got the best intentions, and, and we're just working at it, and we're, we're going after God, and we're trying to do it all, and Satan comes along, drops a piece of fruit, and we go, wait a minute, wow, that looks really good over there. And we kind of veer off path. And guess what? God says in that case too, we need to repent. Repentance is not a one-time deal. It's a way of life. Repentance is an essential everyday element of true salvation. We would see that in Colossians 3 and 2 Peter 2 and so many other verses. As we close this lesson tonight, I want to ask you to really think about, as we hopefully have the opportunity for several in-home Bible studies, I want you to think about
the fact that we must find ways to lovingly, humbly, compassionately, but firmly and scripturally teach repentance and insist on it as much as we do baptism. Because just as baptism, or baptism, depending on how you want to say it, just as baptism must come before salvation, so too repentance in the scriptures, as we've seen, must happen before biblical baptism. Otherwise, otherwise, we could find ourselves with any number of baptisms, but no real conversions to Jesus Christ. We could find ourselves with a lot of people making waves in the baptistry. But no real committed, long-term, in-it-for-life Christians. What about you tonight? If you're somebody here tonight who has been considering baptism for the forgiveness of your sins, and there is no other way to be baptized and, and be saved because that's what God said you got to do. If you've been considering baptism, make sure that you have first considered repentance. Because otherwise, if you're not turning your heart and your mind and your entire purpose of your life and surrendering that to God and making that commitment to learn and study and grow and obey and serve and, and stay loyal and faithful to God, without that baptism, you might as well just go out here and stand in the rain next time it happens. That's about what it's worth. But if you've been thinking about baptism and you truly want to repent and give your life to God, we'd love to welcome you into the family of God tonight or majority of us here have already been baptized into Christ and are members of the church. But we live in a fallen world and Satan is extremely strong. And sometimes, despite the best intentions, despite the strongest faith, look at David. Right? Sometimes, despite the best intentions and the best Christian upbringing, despite, despite the, the most rock-solid convictions that we're just going to go with, sometimes Satan throws us a curveball and we, just, we don't realize that we've gotten off the path until we look around and go, where is the path? I've So far off it, I don't even remember where it was. If that's you tonight and you need to repent of some sin or something in your life that's going on that you know is not right and you want the prayers of your brethren, your brethren are not here to judge you. They better not be or they have a problem with God. They're here to pray for you and to help you and to love you if you have failed out of weakness, if you have failed in some way, if there's something you've said or done that you just need the prayers of the church or you need, some, you need strength, anything at all that we can help you with tonight. You please come to the front to repent if you need to in any way, shape, or form as we stand and sing.